Good morning. This is Pastor Brad from Bethel Church in Edgemont, South Dakota. Thank you for joining us today as we investigate the question, do you want to be healed? It is my prayer today that this message will speak to you, that it will leave you thinking, and ultimately it will help you to change. So let's get into the message. Let's go. sickness and worries and fears, God. As God, today as we go into this message, help us to keep that at the forefront of our thoughts, that you are truly the one who heals. And all this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning once again. I'm kind of bummed out. I was hoping like I'd turn around and see like 17 people who just decided to come to church late, but instead I got all of you who came here on time, and I'm excited that you're here. Um, well, Easter is over and the decorations are down and I was, couldn't help but thinking this morning, you know, that means that summer's almost here, but it's kind of, how do you follow up Good Friday and Easter, right? Because that's, those are some pretty powerful messages that we talk about and, um, but I, I believe that God's got a word for you today that, that will really speak to many of you and the fact that it's, it's spring and we've even had a few days that make us feel like maybe summer might be, be coming, but yet we have this idea in our head that, wait a minute, we live in South Dakota and we're not naive enough to think that we won't get a foot of snow next week or something like that. So life can be pretty unpredictable in South Dakota, right? And so what do we do with that unpredictability, right? Well, for many of us, what we do when life is unpredictable, we just put our nose to the ground and we do what we do day after day, week after week, month or month after month, waiting for that next big thing to happen, whether it's a, a holiday like Easter or maybe it's the, the exciting things that might happen over the summertime, but we fall into this routine of, of simply doing what we've always done. I know uh, a Monday morning, I sometimes wake up and go, okay, it's Monday, and so this is what's going to happen, and I fall into this routine of, how is it already Monday all over again, because our routines go so quickly. But as I go through this message, I don't want you to think that I'm speaking to you as though I've got it all figured out, right? That I'm not a byproduct of that as well, of, of getting into a rut and, and doing the same things over and over again, waiting for the next big thing to happen, because realistically, I think all of us can do that. See, I'm, I'm fortunate enough in, in education and in ministry to never really have a day that's just like the one before, right? There is really no routine in education, although the goal is for it to be as routine as possible. But even if I plan for the day's events, like Mondays, I know that this is what's going to happen. I'm going to have a meeting at 9, and I'm going to do this at 10, and this is the way that my day is going to go. I'm guaranteed that something's going to come up, and I learned a long time ago not to make to-do lists on a Friday because I wouldn't get anything done. Like that's the, that my to-do lists are not to-do lists is generally what, what happens. Um, and it's just the way things go. So 
And a few weeks ago, as many of you know, I had the chance to take a, a group of amazing, amazing seniors who, on their senior trip. We went to Colorado Springs, and it was a, an amazing experience to just see the landscape and see the kids work so hard and see them, them together. And still, uh, we had these many unplanned things that happened along the way, right? My, my perfect children, 17 and 18-year-old kids, some of them did some things that they weren't supposed to do because that's what happens when you get kids together. And we had we had great things, some things not so good. You know, our plans had to change as roadblocks happened, as as event centers were closed and things like that. So sometimes we didn't get to do what we wanted to do, but overall we had this great time. And as I'm thinking back over and kind of processing in the last couple of weeks, there's one thing that really stuck with me though over that time. And it was the time that we spent together in devotion each day, the time that we, we studied God's word and we learned it from the accounts in scripture. And one thing that I can't seem to let go from that time, it comes from the book of John chapter five. In fact, after that weekend, I was thinking, I'm gonna dive right into John chapter five. And then I had to tell myself, wait a minute, it, it's Good Friday and it's Easter. So this has been on my heart for a while. And if you're not familiar with John chapter five, it's when Jesus meets a man who's been sitting beside a pool, right? A man that has suffered for ailments for 38 years, a man who, who makes these excuses over and over again. And as I read that, I couldn't help but think of those of you who can remember movies from the 80s. There was this movie, Cocoon, where all these elderly people would come to this natural spring pool, and it was this fountain of life. And then I remember being a high school student myself, and we went to Banff, Canada, and to a natural outdoor hot springs, and these visions and thoughts just went through my head. But, but I want to share with you today about this and how Jesus spoke to this man who had been sitting beside this pool for a very long time. And Jesus had a really simple response, and it was really a wise response. And for those of you who don't know the story of this man at Bethesda, I'm not going to spoil it for you. In fact, I'm going to just dive right into Scripture and read it to you the way that God would have us hear it. And it comes from John chapter 5, and we're going to go through about verses 1 through 18 today. So it says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. So we've, we've set the picture, we've set the screen here a little bit, and it says, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. In verse 5 it says, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked them, do you want to get well? That phrase stuck with me when I read it again. Do you want to get well? So what if, what if Jesus was here with us today? What if he was, he was sitting next to you today? I imagine he might say to some of us in this room, he might have that phrase. He might say, do you really want to get well. And I don't think he'd be asking it as if he needed our permission, right? He'd say, oh, do you want to get well? Okay, if you want to get well, then, then, then I will heal you. I don't think he was looking for permission here. I think he might believe he might ask that question because sometimes it may seem that that answer to that question is a little bit unclear. Do you want to get well? And it's unclear because sometimes our actions would suggest otherwise. Sometimes our actions would suggest that maybe we don't want to get well. 
So let's continue reading this passage before we get too deep into there. Verse 7 says, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So here begins the excuses on why he cannot be healed. But I want to pause for a moment because I generally read this in the New English Trend, or the New International Version, excuse me, the NIV. And sometimes when you read different portions of Scripture, there are things that are completely different, completely actually left out. <coughs> so we actually, if we go to the King James Version, we can go to verse 7, something that's not in the NIV, and it tells us this. It says, For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool, and troubled the water, whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole whatsoever disease he had. Now I'm going to reiterate, if you read that in the NIV and in the ESV, you're not even going to get to see this portion of this part that happened. So we went to the King James for just a moment. But see, this man apparently has been disabled for 38 years and being brought to the pool hoping to be healed. And today the day is is the day that everything is going to change for him. So, so 38 years of being an invalid, a, a very long time, and today Jesus is going to show up and things are going to change. So verse 8, it says, Then Jesus said to him, Get up. I love the exclamation point there. And he says, Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So once again, we've got some excuses here. We've got some blame. We've got some putting it on somebody else. He is, he is blaming on Jesus because he doesn't want to break the Sabbath. Verse 12 says, so they asked him, who is this fellow who took you to, who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. And Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So this would have been a great message leading up to Good Friday and Easter. But sometimes it's good to read these things in opposite order here. But So to summarize what, what has happened in this event, Jesus comes to the pool of Bethesda. And he heals this man who has been disabled for a very long time. Scripture tells us 38 years. And he tells the man to pick up his mat and walk, which gets him in trouble with the religious leaders who had set up the laws about what you could carry on the Sabbath. And since it was meant to be a day of rest, there, there should be no work. So even the simple activity of carrying this mat was considered work. And we read at the end of this passage that the religious leaders, they wanted to kill Jesus, not only for breaking the Sabbath, but more importantly, for, for making himself equal to God. And this morning, I want to make one observation about healing, and then look closer at verse 6, where Jesus says that phrase, you want to get well. So I want you to notice that although there's many disabled people in this pool at Bethesda, this man was not the only man there. Jesus doesn't heal every person that's in that room. 
Okay, he doesn't heal every person there. He's only recorded as healing one man. And not only that, but it doesn't even appear that he healed a very worthy candidate, right? He, he healed a man who had been making excuses. He healed a man who, who maybe, we might argue, maybe didn't really want to get well. And we'll come back to that. But notice in verse 11, when the religious leaders accuse him of working on the Sabbath, he tells them that it was fault of the, of the guy that healed him. It, it's not my fault. Right. In fact, the disabled man apparently didn't even bother to get Jesus's name. I, I imagine he maybe didn't even thank him because I would, if you thank somebody, if somebody does something good, you might say, "Oh yeah, by the way, could I could I get your name? Thank you, sir." He didn't even do that. And then Jesus finds him again, and in verse fourteen, the man immediately goes to the religious leaders and he tells them that it was Jesus who healed them, getting Jesus in trouble. See, the point is that Jesus doesn't heal everybody. That day at the pool, he chose to heal this, this one man, and even the person he heals doesn't always seem to be very deserving. So to me, that sounds like the definition of grace, right? That forgiveness that you don't deserve. And sometimes we don't understand why God does the things that he does. And you might find it confusing why Jesus wouldn't just heal everyone in the room, right? Why he wouldn't make all of these miracles happen, or why God doesn't answer our own prayers for healing. I don't know if you've ever been in that moment where you've prayed to God and you've said, God, if you could just help me in this situation. God, if you can just take this away. And yet sometimes God doesn't answer those prayers. So today, just as in Jesus' day, there are some people that are healed and we don't understand. And there are some people who get sick and who die. And it can cause us to falter in our faith. You know, we find some people who pray to God and they experience this supernatural healing. And we find some people who, who pray and only to get worse. And there doesn't always appear to be a formula that we can follow. You know, okay, if we get 100 people together and pray, then something great will happen. Or whatever the case be, but the most faithful believer may do everything right and they might die. And while another person who barely prays is healed. But when you read in verse 14, you do get some very important perspective on what it really means to be healed. John 5, 14 says, Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Okay, According to Jesus, being disabled for 38 years wasn't the worst thing that could happen to this man. And as terrible as that is, it, it really, there's, some, there's something else worse that could happen. And being healed of his disability is not the thing that this man actually needs the most. Evidently, there's something far worse that could happen to him if he doesn't stop sinning. So I want to go to a, a different book and look at a similar account, this time from Mark chapter 1, verses 32 to 38. It says, that evening after sunset, the people brought Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many of the various diseases. He also drove out many demons, and he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Verse 35 says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. See, in this passage, the whole town came looking for healing, 
And Jesus replied to his disciples saying that they needed to go somewhere else so that he could preach there because that's why he had come. He didn't come to heal everyone. He came to share the word. And Jesus is telling him that his primary purpose isn't the healing of the body. And it's interesting because if you think about the healing of the body, it can only preserve your life for a finite period of time. And sometimes, in some cases, maybe a few months or a few years. But eventually, once you're healed physically, you still will die. But Jesus was talking about the healing of the soul, which could overcome death and give a person eternal life. So I want you to hear me clearly as we talk about this. God's priority for your life isn't, isn't physical healing, but it is deliverance from sin, right? It's salvation from death. And that's the primary reason why Jesus came. In fact, if we look at John 3.16, a, a popular verse, Tim Tebow made it even more popular by putting on it on his, on his face when he played football, but we see something further. It says, so for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that's usually where we stop. But if we continue on, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. See, God's priority for your life is not that you will be physically healed, but that you would be saved from your sin and from death and hell and have eternal life. That is the reason why Jesus came to the earth. That is why we got, just got done celebrating Good Friday and Easter. But now here's the important thing. Sometimes saving your soul means not physically saving you. Sometimes that means allowing you to endure pain and suffering. Sometimes in order to save your soul, God needs to allow terrible things to happen to you. Sometimes, in order to break your self-reliance and wake you up for your need for God and your need for a Savior. See, I know personally in my life, it was, it was suffering because of my own sin that woke me up for my need for God. It wasn't something that God did ahead of time. It was the suffering that I was going through that gave me the realization that I needed a Savior. And I would guess that for some of you in this room, the same thing is true. You know, one of the best talks on this subject is by a quadriplegic Christian woman by the name of Joni Erickson Tata. And in that talk, she, she says an amazing thing. She says it this way. She says, the same God who healed blind eyes and withered hands also said, gouge out your eye and cut off your hand if it leads you into sin. In other words, physical healing is, is really important, but it's better to be blind and have no hands than and go to heaven than it is to be physically whole and end up in hell because your soul is a much bigger deal to God. And for that reason, he doesn't heal everyone. And that's why we read in verse 14, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see you are well again, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. See, when, I think when we first read that, we, we read this connection that says, if I sin, therefore something bad is going to happen to me. I'm going to be punished for my sin. And I don't think that he's suggesting if the man sins, he's going to go back to the way he was. I think he's suggesting and telling the man that the sin will lead to something far worse than not being able to walk or take care of yourself. Because we know that sin leads to death. 
See, not all are physically healed because physical healing isn't primarily what God is after in your life. That's not what God really wants. He wants to save your soul and get and rid your life of the sin that kills your soul. So if we go back to verse 6, it says, When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he once again asked him that question. Do you want to get well? And the man's answer reveals that he wants to, but he can't get in the water fast enough. Remember verse 7, it said, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And at first glance, it seems like a really strange question for Jesus to ask. It seems strange that he would go to this man who obviously needed help and say, do you want to get well? And maybe the man was thinking to himself when that question was asked, no, Jesus, I'm just laying here disabled for the fun of it. Right? Some of us may, may have that conversation with Jesus or with God every once in a while. Because, see, misery loves company, though, and misery loves the misery of other people. And so, but I really think that question is more profound than it may seem at first glance, because after all, this man has been an invalid for 38 years. He's been hanging out this pool, at this pool near the temple. He's been receiving alms for the poor. He's probably grown pretty accustomed to this lifestyle. And maybe, just maybe, he really doesn't want Jesus to come and change his circumstances. See, maybe his circumstances are actually working out pretty well for him. Or maybe he's afraid of what life might look like actually if he were changed. I want you to hear and consider this question this morning again. Do you want to get well? Because that's really the important part of the question. And when I ask that question, I don't just mean physically but in other areas of your life as well, because I believe that Jesus has the power to heal. I, I, I believe it 100%. I believe that Jesus has the power to give us life to the fullest, not just fullest, not just physically, not just physically, but emotionally and psychologically and, and relationally and in every other way that you can think of. But let me be clear, I'm not talking about some man-centered, name it and claim it, hey, hey, Jesus, this is what I want, and please give it to me, kind of faith or, and health and wealth and prosperity, where God is some heavenly ATM, and if you know the code, you can get him to dispense what it is that you need. Because our God doesn't work that way. But as I said earlier, God doesn't heal every disease. See, because his primary goal is the salvation of your soul. Now, what I'm talking about is what Jesus said in John 10.10. 10. He says, the key thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, Jesus came to this earth to give us life of the fullest to give us the spring of water inside of us well enough to eternal life, to lead us out of sin and out of the slavery and into a life of joy and purpose and love. See, Jesus came to, to make our lives whole and to make it complete. And this morning as you're sitting here today, I believe that Jesus is asking some of us, do you want to get well? Because there's so much in life that is yours if only you'd say yes. But do you really want to get well? So consider some possible areas here. Maybe, it, maybe you're not like this man, this invalid that's been by the pool for 38 years, but maybe you want to get physically healthy. 
But becoming physically healthy will involve a sacrifice in what you eat, a sacrifice in time, a sacrifice in exercise. You know, maybe you need to change your diet and say no to things that you really love or stop turning to junk food when you're anxious or, or nervous or, or depressed and, and, and turn to God instead. So while maybe you say that you want to be physically healthy, do you really want to get well? Or would you prefer to stay out of shape and unhealthy because that's the life you've led? Or maybe you want a more relational health in your life. You want to have a closer relationship with somebody in your life. Maybe it's your, your, your spouse. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a friend. But building that kind of intimacy is going to involve some uncomfortable things, right? You may have to forgive something that they've done to you or confront them about something that they're doing. You might have to have the, the difficult conversations. You may need to invest time in counseling or in spending quality time with that person. And you may have to ask some hard questions. We might have to reveal some intimate and sensitive details about our own lives. We might have to be honest and have heart-to-heart -heart conversations with people. And maybe that scared you. I know it is. And so while you say that you want relational health, do you really want that? Or would you prefer to keep people at a safe distance? Would you prefer to keep things the way they are? Or maybe it's an addiction or two in your lives. Pastor Nancy always says, I believe everybody has some sort of addiction, just some of them are more socially acceptable than others. Right? But maybe we have some of the addictions in our lives that are hurting us. Maybe it's drinking, eating too much, pornography, overspending. I don't, I don't know what it would be. But whatever it is, you found something to which you're turning to escape from the pain escaping from the boredom of the world, and it's become unhealthy and it's become destructive in your life. It's got you enslaved, and you, but you can't seem to escape it. I know for many kids, it's, it's, it's the cell phone, but I really say kids, but quite honestly, it's not, right? We, we take that five minutes and we, and we scroll through, but you know that God offers you healing, free, freedom from addiction. You say that you want to be clean, you want to be pure, but then we come back to that question and we add a word in there. Do you really want to get well? Or would you prefer to stay in your addiction and keep that escape from the pain instead of, of giving it up? Or maybe you just have some personal issues that keep getting in the way of, of living life to the fullest. You know that you have patterns of thought or behaviors that are hurting yourself and, and other people that you love. You have unhealthy fears of failure or rejection or intimacy or, or something else. And you have pain from your past that keeps you from becoming the person that you want to be. And you know that you're probably going to have to walk and talk through that with somebody and work towards healing. Maybe it's a temper or unhealthy obsessions that get in the way of healthy living. And we come back to the question is, do you really want to get well? And even if it means revisiting painful things from the past, even if it means leaving what you know and venturing out into the unknown, or would you prefer to stay stuck in what we could call a comfortable dysfunction, right? And what about your relationship with God? You know that Jesus offers you life to the fullest and a life led by the Holy Spirit, a life of purpose, a life of wonder, a life of, of meaning, but do you really want that? Especially if it involves sacrifice, leaving the comfortable or, or truly taking up your cross and, and following him. So I hope you're understanding what I'm getting at this morning. God is often asking us that question. He's often asking us, do you want to get well? 
And discipleship is in some sense an invitation to, to health and wholeness by living as God has created us to live. And the answer isn't always as, as simple as it sounds, particularly if there be sacrifices involved, right? If healing will involve leaving what is comfortable and following God into the unknown, trusting that what is on the other side is better than what we, we currently know. And the answer isn't always as simple as it sounds, though. Did the man truly want to get well that day? And if it would mean leaving the poolside, the community he had there, if it meant getting a job and taking on responsibility. And this question makes me think of the, the Israelites in the desert. When God brought them from slavery into Egypt and where they were in the wilderness on the way to the promised land, we read in Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 through 3, it says, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Doesn't that seem ridiculous? That they wish they would have died a long time ago so they didn't have to go through this today. But really that thought process is sometimes a reality because the terror of the unknown traveling through the, the desert after God's lead felt worse to these people than the life they had in Egypt, the life they had living as slaves. Sure, in Egypt, things might have been miserable, but at least they were predictable, right? And so the same thing can be true for some who have been imprisoned or institutionalized for a long time today. You know, for the predictable misery of being imprisoned can feel safer than the terror and the unknown and the weight and responsibility that comes along with freedom. So we go back to the question, do you want to get well? Do you really want eternal life? Do you really want life to the fullest that Jesus is offering to you? Or would you prefer to stay where you are in this predictable misery? Or, or would you prefer the predictability of being a slave in Egypt over facing the unknown of following God through the wilderness on his way to the promised land? So to be honest, for most of us, it's, it's not really that black and white. It's not an all or nothing thing. For most of us, part of us wants to be healthy. Part of us wants a, a better relationship, wants to be physically fit, wants to follow God, wants to grow out of our, our weaknesses. But some part of us really wants us to stay sick. We want to, we want to stay average. We want to stay in the comfortable, resist any kind of healing, resist the growth or the openness to God and change. Like, like St. Augustine said, Lord, make me chaste, which means sexually pure, but not yet. Like there's this idea of I really want to be there, but I'm not willing to give it up just yet. And if I can be honest with you for a minute, I have parts inside of me that are always at war with each other too. And I share this today because because I want you to say that I'm not just up here speaking to you. I'm not pointing fingers or pointing blame because there's a part of me that wants nothing more than give myself fully to the work that God has for me. Like, like all the plans that he has for me. He wants, it wants to get to the end of the day knowing that I live for God, that I did everything I possibly could, and that would just be pure bliss. But there's this other part of me that someday says, you know what, I just really want to do absolutely nothing, right? I want to be mindless. I want to be purposeless, less... I want to just spend the day doing nothing of substance. I want, it, it, it's all about me. And that part of me believes that a day of purposelessness would be absolutely wonderful. 
And then these parts of me are, are at war with each other because I know what God is calling me to do, but I know what sometimes my mind and body wants to do too. And what I kind of realized about myself over this past year is that deep down, there's places that I'm afraid to explore. Right? There's, there's places that I'm afraid because I'm afraid that maybe I won't measure up, right? Like I've got these desires, but maybe I won't measure up. I'm afraid to go out on a limb. There's times that I'm personally afraid that people will see the negative face that the enemy sometimes tells me I am. When the enemy tells me, hey, you know what? You're not perfect. And here are all of your flaws. When the enemy says to me, no, you can't do that because you're not capable. Remember, you're never going to measure up. And I think that my subconscious mind realized somewhere along the way, as long as I have an excuse, as long as I can continue to make excuses like this, this man at the pool, then I'm never going to feel like a failure, right? I'm never, because after all, I could have succeeded if I, I didn't have to take care of this, or I would have got that done if, if this wouldn't have interrupted me, or if I didn't have to spend my time doing this, then it would have happened. And as long as I have excuses, then I can protect myself, right? I can protect myself from, from feeling like a failure because what would happen if there were no excuses? What would happen if there were no obstacles? What would happen if I could really give myself fully to the work that God had for me and I still failed, right? Well, then I would have no excuse, nothing to hide behind. My worst fears would be realized. I would be somebody who is not capable. I would be somebody who, who, who didn't measure up. So when God comes to me, when God comes and says, Brad, you really want to get well? Do you really want to be rid of the distractions? Do you want to get rid of the, the procrastination and the obstacles and give yourself fully to the work I have for you? If I'm completely honest, if I'm 100% honest, part of me says, yeah, God, heal me, heal me right now. And that part of me wants nothing more than to live a life fully for God. But then there's this other part of me. This part of me that, that's afraid, right? Afraid that if the excuses are removed, then I'm going to eventually be revealed. And so like a, a scared little child, that part of me shakes his head and says, you know what? No. No, God. I don't, I don't want to be healed. I want to continue laying here by the pool. I want to continue here making excuses why I can't get down in the water and get healed. And so like the father in the book of Mark chapter 9, verse 14, I explained to Jesus, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. So what do I do? What are we going to do with our, with our divided selves, those of us who want to be healed but we're maybe not quite sure? I could just say, tell God this morning that yes, you want to you wanna be healed, you want to live life well, you want to live life for him, but that's, it's not that simple sometimes. And if it was that simple, then we'd already be experiencing physical health. We'd already have relational health with, with no difficulties whatsoever. We'd have personal wholeness. We'd have this spiritual vitality that would just shine from within us. Because willpower alone isn't going to heal us. right? Having the courage to just say that question isn't going to heal us. We need God to heal that part of us that doesn't want to be healed. You know, what's going on there? I believe that deep down, part of us doesn't trust that God is 100% good. Right? I think there's a part of us deep down that says we don't fully trust that life to the fullest is found in him. We don't really believe that he's not looking to steal from us what we love and give us what makes us miserable, right? I think sometimes we think, I don't want to give that up because we don't trust God. We're afraid that God will abandon us, that we're going to be lost, that we're going to be rejected, that we're going to fail. And so we don't answer the question the way we should. 
So there, what is this part of us that needs to know? Well, here's the, some things in particular we need to know. Number one is God's never going to leave you. See, God's never going to forsake you, but he will be your help and he will be your strength. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And as you make the decision to leave this misery of slavery, like those, those people in Egypt, to follow God through the wilderness and on the way to the promised land, know that he's going to be with you. Know that when you make that decision, he's not going to leave you. He's going to go before you. He's going to protect you. He's going to guide you to a better place, and he's going to never leave you, nor will he forsake you, because Jesus will never let you go. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. So the other thing I want to tell you about this is, number two is that God is good, and he loves you perfectly. Isn't that crazy that even though we are so imperfect, our God loves us perfectly? Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God gave you his son, and he's going to give you everything that you need. If, you gave you, if he gave you his son when you were his enemy, then trust that he'll give you what you need when you are his beloved son or daughter. In other words, when you just say yes to God. He has good plans for you. Scripture tells us that over and over again. God is always working all things together for your good and for his glory. Right? He's trustworthy. We can trust him. And because of Jesus' death for your sins, he sees you no longer as, as flawed like like maybe you see yourself, but he sees you as, as perfect. So even if other people look at you and they criticize you or they reject you or they judge you, he's made a decision. He said, you're not guilty. To be, you're his beloved child and who he is well pleased and nothing can change that reality about who you are. Now don't hear me wrong. I think God believes that we've got some stuff to do. I believe God is looking at us saying, you know what, you kind of need to get your, stuff, your act together. But yet he doesn't look at us with judgment. He looks at us and says, I'm, I'm painting a beautiful masterpiece, a picture. And if you just trust in me, we'll get there together. Right? That's what he's saying. And even if the road out of slavery and through the wilderness is painful, trust that God is good. And God loves you perfectly, and that he's leading you to a better place. A life the, a, that's filled to the fullness, and it's found in knowing God. Right? John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So make no mistake, fear is a liar. Right? And the enemy is a master at scaring you into disobedience. He's a master at encouraging you to just give up. But Jesus has come to tell you that you can have a life to live to the fullest, and there is nothing you can give up that God won't replace with something better, whether it's in this life or whether it's in eternity. Luke 18, 28 through 30 said, Peter said to him, we have left all we have to follow you. I tell you the truth. Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in his age in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. 
Things such as, as food and, and travel and companionship, nothing in this world compares to knowing and following him, right? And your heart needs to know that there's nothing you can't give up that he won't replace with something a thousand times better, with more of his presence, his love, and his power, because God is worth it. Freedom from slavery is worth it. Giving yourself up fully to him is, is worth it. It's better to be well than to live in sickness and in slavery and mediocrity and false comfort and fake peace and, and lukewarm happiness. So we got to be willing to have that conversation. Speak truth to your feel, fearful parts. That God will never leave you or forsake you, but it will be your health and your strength. Speak truth that God is good and that he loves you perfectly. And speak truth that life to the fullest is found in knowing him. See, after the disabled man answered Jesus, we read in verses 8 and 9, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once, not a long time later, at once he was cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. And as the man responds to Jesus in faith, he is healed, and he picks up his mat, and he walks away, leaving the pool, leaving this life that he had lived for what he known as eternity behind him. So for, for those of you who, who've got some thoughts going in your head, and you're like, wow, God, what is it that you really tried to say to me? For those of you who maybe even already responded this morning that you want to get well, that the answer is, is truly yes. What's going to look for you? What will it look like for you to follow Jesus in faith? What is the action? What is God calling you to do? Maybe it's to share what he's calling you to do with a friend who can pray for you, somebody who can hold you in account. Maybe it's to seek out a counselor or an older or a wiser believer, a mentor, if you will. Maybe picking up your, your mat is to extend forgiveness to somebody who's hurt you. To pick up that mat and say, you're fully forgiven. To move past the bitterness. Maybe it's to dump out the alcohol. Maybe it's to cut up the credit cards or, or to start to take care of your physical health. Or maybe it's, it's to respond in faith and trust Jesus, asking him to be your Lord and Savior. Near the end of the passage we read this morning, we read this. Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. See, God is at work, not just this morning, but God is at work this morning. And the question is, how is he calling you to respond to him today? Let's pray. God, we come before you today, people with, from all walks of life, God. And God, we do believe. But God, there's times that we need your help and helping us to overcome our unbelief. God, we believe that you are good, that you love us, that you're, you're never going to leave us, God. That a life to the fullest is found in obeying you and that you can strengthen us for whatever you are calling us to do today, God. So God, please, we ask today that you speak your truth to the part of us that still has doubts, the part of us that still has fears, the part of us who doesn't know quite how to answer that question, you really want to be healed. So God, we pray today that you give us the strength and the courage to pick up our mat, to give us the strength and, and courage to, to walk, to we leave behind our old way of living, to leave it behind and to follow you into the life of the fullest that you have for us. God, once again, we thank you for bringing each and every person here, God. 
God, we know there is never a mistake when we walk into your house. So God, as we go about our day and spend our time in fellowship, I just ask that you bless our conversations and our time together so that we may rejoice that, that he is still risen and that he will be our guide and into the future. God, we pray this all to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.